Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. Hello, greetings, welcome to the Vineyard. This the second Sunday of Advent. My name is Ray, I'm one of the members here at the church. Um, Pastor Adam uh, spent the last several days in Houston and was scheduled to get back uh, last night, but he's as wise as he is prophetic. So earlier in the week, he had already asked me if I'd fill in for him, uh, just knowing that uh, he would have been doing some ministry and gotten in late. And then wouldn't you know it, a snowstorm, a violent snowstorm requiring Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, swept through the south from from like Houston up through Atlanta and uh, and the like. And uh, and he didn't make it home yesterday. I don't think he did, did he? Uh, no. no, he did not. <laughs> but here's Seth representing the Russell clan. Uh, come on, give it up for Seth representing. So, um, uh, so hello and uh, his prescience uh, uh, showed off in, uh, showed up in that, uh, and I'm here to talk with you guys about the uh, second uh, Sunday in Advent, which is about peace. Jesus, would you help me please? Amen. There we go. That's the prayer. Um, this is the second week in Advent. Uh, I, how many of you guys grew up with a tradition of Advent that you actually observed these four weeks normally? Yeah, and you see, that's maybe 25% of the congregation. And, and I went to fairly non-traditional churches all of my life, uh, so, so Advent wasn't a part of, um, wasn't a part of my uh, experience either. Uh, we can go right away to the next slide, though, because Advent um, means coming. That's what the word means. And it's actually a part of centuries of tradition, depending on, on how you want to uh, uh, set the calendar. You could say that Christians have been celebrating Advent for nearly or actually two millennia, certainly 15 centuries at the very, very least. So uh, as we embrace this kind of uh, organized liturgical approach, the lighting of the candles, the call the response, the reading of set scriptures, uh, don't think of it merely as tradition. I'd like to encourage us to think of it as, as joining in with believers throughout history, women and men of every nationality, of every ethnicity, and all over the globe have marked the coming of the Lord Jesus, Advent means coming, by preparing their own hearts during this season. And uh, you know, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, anybody got uh, guests coming in for Christmas? You got people coming in from out of town? Really? Wow, three of us. We need to be more hospitable. Let me just say that right up front. Um, well, how about this? Uh, you know, just the way life works is that if you have somebody important coming to your house, you make preparations. You don't just think, oh man, I'm done with work at five. Important person is showing up at 5.15. You know, I think I'll stop at McDonald's and buy an extra big order of fries. And that's going to be how I, you know, the, here's the song, Joy to the World, you know. Uh, in, that, in that song is, is the phrase, let every heart prepare him room. And that's part of what we do with Advent is that we 
in addition to all the preparations we do, which might be saving money all, all year, uh, it might be loading up the credit card just during the last 30 days before Christmas. All of the preparations that we do, the decorations, the buying of the Christmas tree, the annual family argument about whether or not the tree looks good and is set up straight and those sort of things, all of those preparations, uh, they're important, but we have somebody important coming to our house for Christmas, and we need to prepare our hearts. And that's what the church for centuries have done. I need to hear the joke too, tell me. The important person is Santa Claus, right? Yeah. Saint Nicholas. Can I, can I tell you a story? This is not in my notes. And I'm sure, I'm sure I'm going to run over time, so I might as well just start now by chasing a rabbit. Uh, we, have, we have three children. There's, there's nobody under the age of like 10 in the room, is there? Okay, so, uh, so with our oldest, with Joe, we said, you know, we're not going to tell Joe about Santa Claus, but we don't want to be those weird separatists. It's like, you know, ah, Santa bad means Satan. We didn't want to be that either. <laughs> So we said, now, Joe, there was this great believer, this great follower of Jesus, and he lived in the Netherlands centuries ago. His name was Nicholas. This is true, right? Because you're giggling like I'm going to tell you a gag, but I'm not. Uh, and, and he was kind to children, and the children would put out their shoes on Christmas Eve, and he would fill uh, their shoes with candy and fruit. And, and he was so beloved, Nicholas became saint. Nicholas, and we've shortened that to Santa Claus. And, uh, and I said, and so now as part of the Christmas fun, we all celebrate Christmas by Santa Claus and a whole, you know, stories have, you know, have grown up about him. And, you know, and he was like, cool. It was like, hey, there's a Santa, there's a Santa. And it was all good, right? So there's our first child. And just when you think you've got parenting down cold, along comes our second child, two and a half years old. And so we started with Evangeline and we tell her the same thing a long time ago, blah, blah, blah. She looks right at us and says, that's not right. There is a Santa. I know it. You can't fool me. I believe in Santa. And we're trying to tell her the truth. It's like, you're not going to fool me right? So, so I won't tell you what we did with our third child. So, all right. So anyway, okay. So we're preparing for that very important guest, whoever it might be. Uh, and uh, wouldn't it be terrible if in the busyness, in the stress, in the anxiety, in the preparations, that we actually found out that in the inn of our hearts, there wasn't room for Jesus, come Christmas. But it's possible. I've done it. Uh, you know, been married 33 years, stressed out parent, trying to make sure that everything's just right for everybody. And by the time I get to Christmas, it's just like, whew, you know, but it's like, I didn't have any room in me for the incarnation of Jesus of God coming to earth. So, uh, let, uh, so for Advent, uh, it's we're joining with centuries of preparation. With Advent, we're preparing our own hearts for the coming of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Adam discussed the first week uh, of Advent, the theme of which is hope. And I'm really kind of PO'd at Adam about this because for the last year, I've been working on a book about hope. And in 38 minutes, he preached more content about hope than what's in my entire book. I got really mad at him. Um, but I do want to, um, I do want to move on and talk about peace. And uh, 
So we're staying with the Gospel of Luke. Wasn't that a great reading that we had to start things off? Uh, 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 Mary's Magnificat, uh, just absolutely beautiful. Um, uh, so also in Luke, there is this setting, and we can go to the next slide if it's all right. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And um, let me read it to you. You can follow along, or since I'm going to read it out loud, you can also close your eyes and just let the word of God enter in through your ears. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, whoa. No, well, they didn't say that. They said, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened and which the Lord has told us about. So this is, this is our passage here for the second week in Advent. The theme is peace. The setting is uh, on a field not too far away from the city of Bethlehem. And um, I want to give us, I want to give us three uh, things to talk about today. I want to give us the setting, the event, and the message. Um, who knew it? Did you guys know this, that the Christmas story is also scripture? How about that? And here's what uh, the Apostle Paul tells us, is that all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for our teaching, for our training in righteousness, for correction, and for equipping us in being able to live a stable life in Christ. All scripture, even Christmas scripture. And of course, the challenge of Christmas scripture is we hear it, uh, we hear it every year. We may have images of Linus pulling his blanket behind him and saying, lights, please. And then, you know, starting in on the, the Christmas gospel here out of Luke. Um, but this too is scripture. And this too is to help shape us and form us into the image of Christ. Did you know that's your destiny? Did you know that those whom he foreknew, he pre that's you, he predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. You want to know where you'll end up? It's not the good place or the bad place. That's not the destiny. The destiny is to become conformed to the image of Jesus. So let's let the scripture do its work in us. So in this passage of these shepherds, so familiar, let's, um, uh, let's look at the setting. Uh, you notice that it said, by the way, there they are, they're at work one night. It's like every other night. Do you realize that besides being pastoral and beautiful and, and the, the object of many paintings, that being a shepherd is largely boring, highly repetitive, low-skill work? Here are the working class guys who are out away from town and they're doing the same thing that they do every night, every night, 
every night. And one night flows into the next. And then there's the day and then there's the night. And, you know, they do this for a great length of time. And then it says, and suddenly an angel appears to them. Now, one of the things that Adam brought up last week is that there had been a period of silence. Now, depending on biblical scholarship, that period of silence from where Malachi ends the Old Testament to where the Gospels pick up the New Testament, that period of silence had been anywhere from 400 to 200 years. Do you know that's a long time of silence? And yet, the scripture says, suddenly, suddenly, God is speaking from heaven again. So first of all, this ought to tell us something about God. He marks time differently than we do. If, you know, you notice the scripture doesn't say, and finally, God said something. And the, script, and, the, and, the, and the shepherd said, well, we've been waiting to hear from you. No, it says suddenly. You see, this is, this is the way of God. When we least expect it, this is the way of God. When we are caught in the everyday and the repetitive, when we think that our lives are on a circular pattern and that life is just repetition, one thing after another, God suddenly breaks in and begins to speak to us. So we've got the shepherds long ago, but what about you? What about your life? What is the, what is the annual rhythm of your life. Some of us have been working the same job for three years or five or 10 or dare I say it for 20 years. Same office, same place, same, uh, maybe job sites are different, but the work is, is, is similar if you're a tradesperson. Let's not be lulled into a complacency that God either can't or has decided not to speak to us in the midst of the regular cycle of our life. Can we do that? Can we actually prepare our hearts, make room for him by longing for the suddenly of God? Now the timing's up to him. And with God, one day is this a thousand years, a thousand years is this one day. So it may not be when you expect, but our response is that we long for God to break in to our every day. And that's one way to prepare our hearts and to create room for them, is that uh, we long for that. And I think it was the, J the John Mark song uh, about, you know, we long for you. And so when I sang that this morning, I was wondering, do I? Do I long for him, right? So another thing about these shepherds is that, you know, they weren't great seekers of truth. They, you know, they weren't great seekers of mysticism. Uh, they weren't uh, God chasers. They weren't uh, people who were going to the next big meeting where there was revival, where that there was breakthrough and healing, where that there was... They were on the job. They were just doing what they do. They, they weren't seekers. And yet, God broke into their lives. And I'm, I'm really glad for this. Because you know, God's gracious initiative to reach towards us doesn't depend on us always having the right posture. Now, is the right posture important? Sure. Is it useful? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's always good to do things, you know, well as opposed to not doing them well. But aren't you glad that at just the right time, 
while we were alienated from God, that God demonstrated his love for us in that Jesus died for us. In other words, do you know who the great seeker is in the biblical story? It's God. It's God's relentless pursuit of us that is the true seeking that goes on in the biblical story. And if you think about your life, if you think about whether you're fully engaged with Jesus or whether you're partially engaged with Jesus or whether it's like, you know, I don't know about this, but it's Christmas, so I figured what the heck. You know, it's, it's God's pursuit that is drawing us ever closer to him. And that's the case here. They're just on the job. They're not particularly being holy. And yet God was the seeker. In fact, if you want to turn the entire parable on its head, the shepherds were the lost sheep. And God was the seeker who went out to get them. Isn't, isn't that just kind of a nice irony? And later, maybe, who knows, Mary tells her little boy Jesus about shepherds who come and attend his birth. And then the grown-up Jesus says, you know, isn't that interesting that the heavenly father was seeking the shepherds? And the heavenly father, he's like a good shepherd. He always goes after the lost sheep. And I'm glad of that. Because my lost sheepness happens far too often. And so I'm glad that it's not just that it's a one and done thing, but that it's God's way to go after us. Are, are, are you happy about that? I, amen. Yeah, amen goes here. Yeah. All right. So, so that's kind of the setting. It's pretty. It's pastoral. But it's actually real life as well. Um, we move on to the event and the event itself is absolutely stunning. You got an angel, you got an army, and you got a sign. How weird is this? Can I do a little quick survey? Because we found out that there's like three people showing hospitality. Not that I'm berating the congregation. Um, how many of you guys have ever had an angelic encounter? Let me see. Well, more than, more than our hospitable. Isn't that nice? You know, if we had time, and, and I'm serious, if we had time, I would love to hear about these angelic encounters sometime. Uh, I've, I've not, or at least I've not had an angelic encounter that I've been aware of, because the scripture tells us to show kindness to strangers, right? And always show hospitality, because some people have entertained angels unaware, so perhaps you've had an angelic encounter and you didn't know about it, or perhaps like those that raised their hands, uh, you, you did um, have such an encounter. In our family, uh, my older daughters had an angelic encounter. Uh, and it, in the most it was a suddenly in the most unexpected place and the most unexpected time. But here they are, late at night. It's like every other night. And then an angel appears and it says, the radiance of God's glory was around just one angel, and they were terrified. Now, I find an interesting juxtaposition that here in the second week of Advent, when our theme is peace, and when the refrain of the heavenly host is going to be peace on earth, that what it starts with is knee-knocking, change your underwear, terror. That's what's going on. I mean... Uh, if an angel appears to me, as much as I know that there's biblical warrant for it, and as much as I might want it, the truth is, is that it might scare the bejesus out of me, right? And that's the case with these guys. What happens when your everyday, 
highly repetitive, same thing one after another life is interrupted by a supernatural encounter. The truth is, is that sometimes when God reaches out to us, it scares us. They were terrified. And in fact, there's some evidence in at least the New Testament that nearly every angelic encounter is pretty frightening because almost every angelic encounter starts with the angel going, don't be afraid, don't freak out, right? And that's the case here, fear not, because I bring you uh, great tidings of joy, which shall be for all of the people. And by the way, isn't that an REM song for all the people or something like that? Um, uh, by the way, when we have encounters with God, don't you know that it's almost always for us and for all the people, for all the people. So whatever encounters we've had, angelic or otherwise, yes, he wants to pour into us, but he wants to pour into us just the same way that he poured into Abraham. I'm going to bless you so that through you, all the world could be blessed. I think that's wonderful. And it's God's way. It's his normal way. And that's part of what the scripture is telling us here, right? But then if that weren't enough, first, and, I, and I'm so grateful, if, had I been the shepherds, which I'm not, um, I'm so grateful that it's just one terrifying angel that delivers the news, the actual message. Because why? Because right after the angel sums up, if the fabric of reality had been pinpricked by one angel, now, the fabric of reality, imagine, if you will, that the night sky is pulled back like the curtains at some grand theater, and we look right beyond the night sky, and we see the heavenly host, all of them, beginning to sing. And so our worldview is upset in, the, in, in just the singular, but then all of a sudden, like the world as we know it, the curtain gets pulled back, and we see the reality behind the world as we know it. This is part of what Christmas can be. The opportunity to encounter the reality behind the world as we know it. You know, life is so daily. We think we've got our life measured only to find out that it's just being played out in front of the curtain and that the real show is behind the curtain. And so the curtain opens and the host of heaven begins to sing. And they sing, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth with, the, with those whom God is pleased. It must have been magnificent. It must have been magnificent. And, and if we could, could we just go back to the, the title slide, the very beginning one? Because I searched in vain for any kind. This one is from a Dutch master. But look at the angels, this host of heaven. Aren't they cute? Aren't they just adorable? Where in the world, I didn't have the time to search this through, but where in the world did we get the idea that all angels are fat babies? Where in the world did we get this? Because time and time again, and you know, I did the Google searches and it took me two or three days to find anything that was even, well, it's not close, forget it, at least in this regard. The, the, the fabric of heaven is, or the fabric of the sky is pulled away. We see the real show behind the curtain. And then we're, we're accosted with fat babies? <laughs> no, do actually, and I, and I like, I'm using New Living Translation today. I really like the way that they put it because they said a vast 
host of others, comma, the armies of heaven. The host of heaven, the word is actually stratia, as in strategy or stratego. Maybe somebody would get that for Christmas. Um, you ever placed it? Never mind. Um, the word is armies, and it's plural. It's more than one army, right? That's what appeared to them that night. But then combine the vision of the armies of God with the message. Because generally you think of armies as what? Kill them all and let God sort them out. Everybody has a judgment day, says the Marines. Our job is to arrange the meeting, right? Um, But no, the armies of God are singing this. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth with those with whom God is pleased. Can, Can we take a minute? I mean, like, I almost want to say meditation time. Maybe you can do it later in the week. That the armies of God sing about peace. The armies of God do not sing about judgment. The armies of God do not sing about destruction. The armies of God sing about peace. And no one longs for peace more than someone who's actually been in a conflict. The armies of God were singing about peace. I, 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 again, I tried to search. I was looking in Band of Brothers or, or, or you know, some of the World War II movies or Vietnam uh, movies uh, just to see. I mean, you know, there are army choirs, right? But, but they're always wearing what? The really good-looking uniforms with all the ribbons, you know, and they all stand so straight. What I was looking for was I was looking for battle-hardened, smeared with mud faces, uh, cuts and bruises all over them, soldiers that would be singing silent night, holy night. Because the armies of God are showing us the real way to conquer the world. The real way to conquer the world is through the peace of God. It's the scripture telling us something about how God moves history. He moves his armies and they bring a message of peace. And then the last thing here about this particular event, and thank you very much, we can go back. Um, The last thing about the event is these poor angels, they've seen an angel. They've seen the vast host of the armies of heaven. And then the angel says, and this shall be a sign to you. Good Lord, we haven't had signs enough. An angel, the radiance of the glory of God, the armies of heaven singing, and all of this is vast and it's supernatural. But what is, what is the sign? I'm asking, not rhetorically. What's the sign? Hmm? A baby in strips of cloth wrapped up in a manger. How many of us have taught ourselves to think that when God speaks through signs and wonders, that it always has to be eye-poppingly supernatural? Because what we've got here is a juxtaposition of the supernatural breaking in. Joseph, Rebecca, I just figured out who you guys were. Hello. I'm sorry. uh, It's ADD. Squirrel, what? Yeah. 
The sign wasn't the fact that the mysteries of heaven had, had been revealed as the curtain was pulled back. The sign was a child laying in a manger. Now, I, I'm not even smart enough to pretend that I know the significance of all of that other than to say that the most everyday occurrences can potentially be the sign from God for you. I know a guy who made a decision about who to marry because the color red kept appearing to him again and again and again. And for him, it had the significance of affirming the most life-changing choice that he would make uh, other than following Jesus. And it was just, okay, that's it. Thank you for speaking to me, God. And how many of us, how many times would I, how many times would I miss the sign from God because I'm looking for the supernatural from God. Do you understand there's a difference between God's signs and the supernatural aspects of God? Yeah. So that's all a part of the event, an angel, an army, a sign. And then with just an hour and 20 minutes left to go in the sermon, we move to the message. The message is peace. The message is peace. I want to talk about that. Um, first of all, uh, depending on your translation, and, and I did my best to look it up, not like I'm any kind of scholar, but it's for unto you this day is born a Savior. Do you realize that it's for us? That the message of peace is for us. It's not just that, hey, good news. You know, like, oh, great, the stock market's up. Well, fine, I don't own any stock, right? No, no, the message is unto you. So if you're here today, for whatever reason, for whatever motivation, seeker or non-seeker, if you're here today, the message of Christmas is what? Unto you. It's, it's God's gift to you. That's, that's the first thing that I wanted to say. And then it is peace on earth toward those of goodwill. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth uh, towards men and women, people of goodwill, right? And um, so I want to talk about peace with the remaining time that we have. And um, can I just tell you that um, peace is in short supply these days? Peace is in short supply all around the world. But you know what? There've always been wars there's always been conflicts. I'm not trying to minimize them. They involve real suffering with real people. But the truth is, is that the human condition is conflict. Conflict that boils over into violence. Um, but peace, peace is something completely different. And here's what I found is that um, I'm, I'm an aging baby boomer. Uh, I, I actually remember the... Uh, the anti-war demonstrations of the 60s. Uh, my high school actually boiled over into one of those uh, in the early 70s to the point that uh, the, the local VFW came and had to place an honor guard at the flag at our high school because those darn students were disrespecting the flag. Um, so, so I've been a part of passionate protests. But you understand that, that when our hearts are moved to passionate protest. And I will let you fill in the blank 
as to what you would like to protest. Left or right, high-minded or low-minded, progressive or conservative. When our hearts are moved to passionate protest, the first thing that we need is we need a heart of peace before we work for social justice. Can I say this? Social justice, all in favor. Yeah, that's me, okay? But do you know how many people are working towards social justice with hearts that have no peace? How many people these days are working towards a noble cause, a high cause, a good cause, but they're doing so without personal peace? And you understand that peace has two expressions, both the personal and the communal, right? And I, and I would dare say that the, the, the personal needs to be the seedbed for the communal. So that's about as directive as I'll get today. And that is that in our quest for justice, whatever we understand that, economic justice, sexual justice, social justice, um, justice for the, the marginalized or justice for, for those that are unfairly taxed, I, wherever you are on the spectrum, can I just tell you that our hearts need to be in a place of peace before we can work towards peace effectively? In other words, wouldn't it be terrible to work and, and, and to go hard after peace and then lose your marriage or your relationship with your children or lose the, the love of your neighbor over a given issue? Is it possible that people could be on opposite sides of an issue and actually still want the same thing, peace on earth and goodwill toward men, but that they simply disagree as to the road to get there? But so frequently, I mean, it, it, this, this is not well organized, but it's just so frequent today to demonize the other side and to say, all they want is blah, 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 blah. And the, the possibility is, is that most of us have the same goals, that there would be peace and prosperity and justice in the world, but we're willing to slit each other's throats over how to achieve it. Is there, is there not any irony in that? Personal peace, personal peace starts inside and in that first ring that we call our families. That's where personal peace is. And, and here's what I've noticed, is that personal peace can sometimes look remarkably like contentment or settling and not caring about what else is going on. It's like, why aren't you upset? Don't you realize? And then fill in the blanks again, right? And the, the point is, is that to do God's work, we must have God's heart. To do God's work, we must have God's heart. And you understand that Jesus demonstrated God's heart so much that beaten, bruised, and crucified on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I, that's why I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I want to be able to be the kind of person who is invited and included in the mission of God. And at the same time, when I am betrayed or abused, that I can still 
be the person who offers peace. I'm not there. In fact, you back me into a corner, I can be pretty ugly. But I know who I want to be. And I know that the starting point for the peace of God is that it's within me and that it's within my immediate circle. You know, if I'm a bear to my wife and I'm distant and alien from my children, what good does, what, what profit is there for someone to gain social justice if we lose peace and harmony at home? And I think all too often we can see that. Men and women who have sacrificed their relationships on the altar of ministry, of doing God's work, right? So um, peace should start personally. But let's not be fooled. Peace that starts personally does express itself in social contexts. In social contexts. It would be an abuse. It would be a distortion of the peace of God to say, I'm fine. It's the rest of the world that's screwed up. Let them go to hell. When we find the place of personal peace, personal peace should send us out into the world to make a difference in the lives of others. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others and you are politically conservative, then do so with a heart of peace. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others and you are progressive politically, then do so with a heart of peace. But make no mistake, Personal peace that does not work for social justice is an incomplete peace. It is, a, it is a, a consumerized version of peace that says, us four, no more. I'm good. Thank you very much. So the order is important. Uh, am I preaching too much? I feel like I'm the, the get off my lawn old guy, right? Um, personal peace is the starting point. Social peace is the mission. It requires one, but then the first one requires that we engage with the other. And, you know, my vision would be that right here in this little congregation in middle of nowhere, Kentucky, that we could have people who could literally laugh at sometimes, good-naturedly laugh at the differences between other people and their solutions, but know that he is a man of good heart. She is a woman of good heart, and I bless what they're doing. Even though what he's going to do, that ain't never going to work. But God bless you anyway, right? I mean, why, why can't we support the heart of people? Why, why can't we give to them the goodwill of intentions that we would like to receive from other people? Why can't we? And Christmas would certainly be a really good time to do that, okay? Personal peace, social peace. Um, and then as I was reading this, the lyrics of this army song of God where it says, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I thought, isn't that interesting? I'll bet you, you know, we could work that backwards as well. And so I tried to render Luke chapter 2, verse 13, backwards, just to try to give it a little more context. And here's what I came up with. And you are required to, to like this. <laughs> How about this? Where people of goodwill embrace peace, God is glorified. 
It's the same statement, just worked backwards. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth toward men and women of goodwill. Well, where people of goodwill embrace the peace of God, this brings glory to him. And wouldn't it be wonderful to have a remarkably diverse community, ethnically diverse, economically diverse, politically diverse community living in peace? Now that would be a sign. That would be a sign in our day and in our age. And then finally, he said, as he began to prepare to commence to close, you might think, okay, well, it's an easy sermon because, you know, who's against peace? I mean, we're all in favor, right? But what's the path to peace? How is it? I mean, you know, we've got angels singing about it. You've, you've got it as the gift of the world. Um, you've got um, Jesus, Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus is the prince of peace. But what's the path to peace? And here's a passage of scripture which, which isn't on the board, um, but that I, I, I was reminded of just this morning. I memorized it many years ago, and I find myself continually having to come back to it. It's from Philippians, it's chapter four, verses six and seven. And it says this, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so the Prince of Peace announced in this passage, who the Prince of Peace, who demonstrated peace throughout his entire ministry, drops into the heart of one of his disciples, the pathway to peace. So would you like to become a person of peace, both individually and corporately? We're so fortunate that the Apostle Paul in, in Philippians gives us a pathway to peace. He says, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, which is needed. I need Jesus to be close to me or it doesn't work. And then he says, and then he says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything with thanks, right? Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. How many of you would like to have both emotion, God guard you emotionally and intellectually? Would you like to have God guarding your heart and your mind. It's Ephesians 4, 6, and 7. And it starts like this. We lay our anxieties before God. We lay our anxieties before God. Well, wow, at Christmas time, not enough money, not enough time. Uh, both sets of parents are divorces. I'm going to have to do four Christmases and I won't get one with my own family. There's relational anxiety. You name it. There are plenty of reasons for anxiety. And so um, I learned this from Richard Foster. He, he has an exercise that he calls palms down and palms up. Anybody familiar with palms down, palms up? Okay. He says seated, comfortable, maybe not like here. And you can try this right now. It's audience participation time. Just, just take your hands and just palms down. Just Put them on your, your two thighs. Don't put them on your neighbor's thighs. 
And take a moment, and the gesture of palms down is the gesture of laying things down, right? And so here we go. We're just going to slide right into it. Jesus, in your presence, I want to lay down my anxieties. But Lord, I don't want to lay down anxieties in general. I want to lay down these specific anxieties. So now, name them before God. What is it that causes you to worry? Right now, name it before him. And using your body as your prayer, lay it down. Palms down. And then as you've named these anxieties, just when you're ready, gently leave your hands on your thighs, but just turn your palms up. When you go to palms up, you say, Jesus, I want to receive whatever you have for me. You know what I need. And so I receive what you have to give me. All right, so that's the 60-second version of palms down and palms up. Here's the beauty of it, is unless you're driving a car, you can do this anywhere. (laughs) Don't try it. It's worse than texting and driving. Don't try it behind the wheel. But if you come to a light that's particularly long, you could do it there. Just put the car in park first, right? At your desk, at home, with a baby sleeping on your shoulders, or wherever you are, and, and for whatever length of time, whether that's a 20-minute meditative exercise or whether it's a one-minute, you know, little just palms down and palms up, it is an actual practice that pulls our body into prayer and it signifies that we will lay things down. See, it's not enough just to say, well, don't worry. Hey, it's not that important. Well, it might actually be important. And so we, we have to make a point. Be anxious for nothing, this is the first part of the Philippians passage, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Right, okay, so be anxious for nothing. This is how we do it, palms down, palms up. But by everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Prayer, supplication, and let your requests be made known. That's all three the same thing. So essentially what the Holy Spirit is saying is pray, pray, pray. By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known. Now first, do it from a place where you've laid down your anxieties, done your best to receive from him. But it's a practice. After the palms down and palms up, just let your requests be made known. But make sure to stir in, it's a Christmas recipe, a healthy dose of thanksgiving. Right? It's prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, And there you've got your Christmas cookie, right? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Listen, those of us that have raised children, 
we would much rather our children ask us for what they really want than to tell us what they think we want to hear. If you have, if you have, if you have raised a child older than the age of two, you understand this. It is way better to hear what a child really wants than to hear a child parenting what they parrot, P-A-R-R-O-T-T, parroting, I don't know how many T's there are, there's some, um, parroting what they think the parent wants to hear. So let your requests be made known to God, even like the yucky ones. Might as well just get it out there. You're not fooling God, right? And then here's the amazing answer that God gives us, that the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your emotions and your thoughts. Isn't that a wonderful response? He says, you lay down your anxieties, receive from me, let your requests be made known, and I will give you peace. Peace. And if we can engage in that, here's the 10th, so we got 15 days, math major, 15 days until Christmas. If we can engage in that as a practice, It'll be a Merry Christmas indeed, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, my dear friends, I love this congregation so much. There are so many relationships and so many people, and even the people I don't know well, we are together, the vineyard. The vineyard can be, and you can be, an outpost of God's kingdom. That's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks if we will first receive and then work outwardly. If you're on the ministry team today, would you just kind of make your way forward? If you're not on the ministry team, could we just stand up? It's just Vineyard Liturgy. We end the meeting by standing up and praying. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.